The following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from Life Point Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. Our text today is Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. We'll go ahead and read the passage, and so Paul says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This passage signals a a pretty significant shift within the book of Romans, and that's because uh, Romans 4 uh, concludes the first major argument in the book, And, and really, the beginning of this chapter sums up the entire argument of Romans 1 through 4, that we are justified by faith. And so that's the message of Romans 1 through 4. We, we cannot save ourselves. We are sinners, and yet Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and now we can be declared righteous before God by faith in Christ. And that's great news. It's great news that God would justify a sinner like me. But the next section, Romans 5 through 8, is, is probably even better. It's, it's maybe, and it's certainly a more impactful for those of us who are already saved. This is Romans 5 through 8. This is maybe my favorite section of the whole Bible. And it was when I did youth ministry, it was on my, my four-year calendar for my senior hires. And so I love this section, love to teach through it. And it's a wonderful section of Scripture because Romans 5 through 8 describes the benefits of the gospel for those who believe. So, so you're justified by faith. Hopefully, everyone in here has received the gospel, and now, what does God continue to do in your life? The grace of God is not done when you get saved. The grace of God is only beginning. And so, this passage, these chapters are full of encouragement, hope, very practical instruction, conviction, comfort. I love these chapters, and I trust that you do as well. And they start out with a bang here in Romans 5, verses 1 through 5, as Paul fires off five incredible benefits of the gospel. I'm justified. And what does that mean? And so Paul's just going to fire off five things here that really he goes on to develop at length later on in these four chapters of Scripture. And I want to emphasize at the outset today that appreciating these kinds of blessings of God is at the heart of growing into full Christian maturity. I think one of Satan's sneaky, most effective lies is that he convinces Christians that the gospel is mostly just about getting a ticket out of hell and getting a ticket to an eternity in paradise with all of my friends. That we're going to have fun, we're going to hang out, 
And, and heaven is all about me having a good time. And he's diluted the gospel in many people's minds into a man-centered, a man-centered pursuit of pleasure. And it distorts how, how many Christians view the Christian life and it chains them to an immature faith where it's all about me and God essentially exists for my pleasure and my good. But Romans 5 through 8 stand in stark contrast to that piddly Christianity. And, and in our text for today, the five benefits we're going to look at start this process of, of magnifying a grander vision of what the Christian life should be. So, so the first benefit that Paul lists is that we have peace with God. We have peace with God. Look again at what he says in verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that benefit is incredible on its own, but it's especially incredible when you think of it in the context of Romans 1 through 4. Because remember, turn back and see, what again, what Paul said to the nations, the warning he gave to the nations of the earth in Romans 1, verse 18. He says there that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So, so God has wrath towards the sins of, of humanity. And then look at the warning he gives to the Jewish legalist in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. He says, Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So, so folks, God has wrath towards sin. We, we all deserve wrath from God, not kindness. For, from the most religious, perfect person there is to the most godless sinner, we all transgress God's law. And because we transgress God's law, there should never be peace between a holy God and a sinner like me. But, but Christ went to the cross. And he took my punishment and himself on the cross. And he died in my place. And so he replaced my transgression with his perfect righteousness. And therefore, he also replaced God's wrath towards me with perfect peace. You know, it's as if a violent storm of wrath and hostility has been replaced with a quiet calm. And every one of us who's in Christ should be so thankful that God satisfied his own wrath against my sin. And now there is peace between me and God. But, but I do think it's worth emphasizing that oftentimes in our relationships, keeping the peace just simply means avoiding a fight. So you're going to have Thanksgiving in about 10 days, and maybe you've already made a covenant in your family that we're not going to talk about politics or we're not going to bring up this issue here because the moment that comes up, boom, you know, World War III breaks out. And so you might avoid a fight, right? But you don't actually have peace. There's not unity. There's not camaraderie. And thankfully, peace with God is much more than avoiding a fight. It also includes a personal relationship. And I say that because Paul was a Jew. And so when the Jews greet each other, what do they say? They say shalom, which is 
peace. And so when Paul talks about peace, he thinks as a Jew, and so it's an expression there of goodwill, a desire that you would enjoy good things. Peace communicates friendship or brotherhood. And that is what Paul has in mind here. It's not just that God is no longer angry. I am adopted into his family. And he looks at me with favor and compassion. And that is an important compliment to justification because, because justification is all about justice. So, so God, as my judge, declares me not guilty. But most people don't maintain an ongoing relationship with a judge, right? If you've ever been to court, you probably don't go get dinner with the judge after the court proceedings are done. You know, a, a judge does his job, and then we're glad to get away from him. But, but, mo, but, but Paul here says that God is much more to us than a judge. Now look over at chapter 8, and, and look at what Paul says in verses 15 through 17. Chapter 8, verses 15 through 17. He says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. And that passage says that if you're a Christian, it's not just that you will not suffer in hell. You are God's child. You are adopted into his family. God is your father. And he pursues your good like any loving father. And, and, and folks, you know, part then of really believing in justification, part of really believing the gospel, is acting like you are at peace with God. If Satan wants you to live your Christian life with a sense of shame and guilt and this just ever-present concern that God might still be angry at you. And so many Christians live that way before God and, and they're always nervous and, and they don't quite know how to just rest in Him. So if you have believed on Christ, you need to trust every day that you really are at peace with God. And then draw near to Him as a result. And it's also worth emphasizing that, that, that this God who, who gives us peace is, is so far beyond how many Christians see Him. You know, like I mentioned in my introduction, you know, a lot of people, you know, we, we love ourselves, right? We, we love ourselves, we want to think highly of ourselves, and, and so we perceive the gospel in a very man-centered sort of way. And, and so a lot of people think of God as, as not really wrathful towards them. Like, I don't. I mean, I'm a pretty good person. God couldn't possibly have wrath towards me. And, and so God becomes little more than a means to their personal happiness. He's not big. He's not really righteous. And he's not sovereign either. And therefore, his love is really not that amazing. And neither is the fact that we have peace with him. But, but folks, when you look at this verse in the context of everything we've seen in Romans 1 through 4, and you understand what, what our sin deserves and the cost of Christ's death to save us, the fact that I am at peace with God through the costly sacrifice of Christ is a wonderful fact. 
and ought to give every one of us a wonderful assurance. I am at peace with God. And then the second benefit of the gospel is that we have access to grace. Access to grace. Look again at Romans 5 and notice what he says in verse 2. He says, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Now, the Greek term that's translated here as introduction or access in a lot of translations is pros agoge. And, um, and it's a fascinating term in this context because it's a term that often describes access to royalty. So, so just imagine, now, now we don't have a royal family in America, but, but just imagine that you were given an opportunity to meet with the president in the Oval Office for an hour and to just talk to him about whatever you wanted to talk to him about. Now, now I don't care what your view of the president is, that would be a, an incredible experience, right? To go into the Oval Office and to have an hour to just talk to the president about whatever you want to talk about. And with that in mind, consider how amazing it is that Christ has obtained for every Christian the right to access God himself. I mean, through Christ, I have a relationship, not just with a, a human king, but with the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And it's not just a relationship to him, he says here that we have access to grace in which we stand. Now, now that's important. You know, because even after I'm justified, I still need a lot of grace. I need a lot of grace from God. And if you don't appreciate the fact that you need grace from God, then you're doing something wrong. Or you're just delusional. Because I need grace to continue to forgive my sin. I need grace just to believe God and to believe the promises of God. I need grace to do battle with sin and pursue godliness. And Paul says here that as a Christian, I have at my fingertips all the grace that I could ever need. It's, it's like God has given me a limitless gift card of grace. And that grace, he says, is always available. He says we stand, and, and, the, and the emphasis of the verb there is is that I continue to stand in this grace. So it's not just that I get a monthly appointment with the king or a weekly appointment with the king. I live in the presence of God. I live in the presence of his grace. Now keep your finger here and turn over to Hebrews 4. I think it's worth putting our eyes on this passage today. Hebrews chapter 4. Familiar passage. I want to read verses 15 and 16. Hebrews 4, 15. Well, let's, let's read, begin in verse 14 for context. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And God there doesn't just say, hey, come if you want to. 
I mean, this verse, verse 16, is, is given as a command. So God commands me to come. And he commands me to come boldly or confidently to the throne room of grace. Now, now why is that? It's because, it's not because there's something in me that, that deserves his attention. It's because I come through Christ. And God promises that when I come to him for grace, I will always find exactly what grace I need for that moment. He will give grace to help in time of need. And God always gives more than enough grace for what each day holds. So, so that doesn't mean that he promises an easy path, right? He doesn't mean that God just blows up every challenge in front of us and we just keep running full steam ahead. And God knows, in fact, that we need tough resistance to truly be sanctified. So life is filled with fears and uncertainties that threaten our faith. Holiness is hard. And we're surrounded by many temptations. Now, your sin nature is powerful and persistent, and so is the devil. But we don't know what challenges are ahead. You, you don't know uh, how Satan may tempt you or, or what you know, just physical issues of life may come up. But we know that God will give more than enough grace for what each day holds. And access to grace is a wonderful blessing of the gospel. So praise God that you have constant access to grace. And then make sure that you take advantage of that access. And are you taking full advantage of the fact that you stand in the grace of God? You know, do you come to Him and when you sin and cry out and ask Him for forgiveness and, and seek His mercy? Do you pray like someone who is in a desperate battle against sin and, and needs the strength of Christ to overcome? You know, do you bring every worry and every care to the Lord? And seek His grace to keep the faith and to glorify Him through it. Now, folks, we have an incredible gift at our fingertips. It was so often we, we don't take advantage like we should. We don't pray. We don't live in the presence of the Lord. We just, we'd rather do it our way and, and take care of it ourselves. So let's be reminded today of our desperate need for help and the incredible access that we have been given, and let's pursue it. Just spend time before the throne of God. You know, seek Him, pray, spend time in His Word, meditate, worship. Dwell at the foot of God's grace. So we have access to grace. And then the third blessing that we have as a result of justification is we have hope for glory. We have hope for glory. So, so notice what he says at the end of verse 2. Romans 5, verse 2, he says, and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. Now, now, that's a statement that we could easily misunderstand because in particular, when we see the glory of God, we, we generally think of God's glory. But, but in this context, that, that really doesn't fit. It doesn't really make sense in, in this place. So, so instead, the, the better idea in context is that the hope Paul has in mind is that one day I will share in the glory of God. I am currently taking on the divine nature, is what 2 Peter 1 verse says, and someday I will be fully transformed into the image of Christ. The Bible says I will be glorified. 
Now, now Romans 3 and 4 have, have already emphasized the fact that, that when I get saved, when I am justified, I am declared legally righteous. So, so from a legal standpoint, I am 100% righteous because I stand in the perfect righteousness of Jesus. But on a practical level, I still have a really long way to go, and so do you. And yet what God is doing in the Christian life is he is at work day by day to progressively form in me the character of his son. He is changing me. He is conforming me to be like Christ. And someday he is going to finish that process and I will be glorified. And the best part of that is, is that I will then be able to enjoy perfect fellowship in the presence of God. I will be both legally and practically perfect, so, so there will be nothing between me and him. And folks, that is our great hope. And even better is the fact that that hope is not like so much of our hope, you know, where we kind of hope something will come about. So maybe you hope that your team will win the football game this afternoon, or, or you hope that you're going to get a promotion at work. No, this hope is certain because God promises to finish the process. You know, once again, turn over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and notice what Paul says in verses 29 and 30. Why do we have a certain hope? Well, well Paul tells us here, Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, now none of us are glorified yet. All right? Sorry, I can look at you and I know that you're not glorified and you can look at me and you know that I'm not glorified. So he's not saying we already are glorified. But what he's saying there is just as certainly as God foreknew you, predestined you, called you, and justified you, he will glorify you. It is certain every believer will be made perfect. And therefore, Paul says, we exalt in that hope. You could also say that we boast in that hope. And the idea there is that it is a confident expectation. You know, so think, think of, a, of a bride waking up on her wedding day. And she walks out of her bedroom and she says to her sister, I'm getting married today. Right? And, and she can taste it. She knows it's going to happen. So she boasts in something that she is sure is about to take place. And in the same way, now we shouldn't wake up in the morning as Christians wondering, is this going to be the day that I'm just going to fall apart and walk away from God? Is this the day that sin is ultimately going to get the victory? Now, now we should be very skeptical of our flesh. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12 says, If anyone thinks he stands, let him take heed lest he fall. But folks, we should always be very certain of the promises of God. Glorification is absolutely coming for everyone who is in Christ, and, and that is something we ought to be excited about. Now, now, Satan, he does not want you to think that way. I mean, he wants you to think that every day of your Christian life, that you are on the precipice of failure. 
that this is the day that, that Satan might finally get you and ruin you. And so he wants you to live your Christian life in despair and defeat and discouragement, and he wants you to give up or to quit trying. But don't get discouraged when you endure tough days of defeat. And maybe you came into church today and, and you failed this week. You gave in to sin, you gave in to temptation, you lost your temper, you thought and practiced evil things, and you're discouraged. And, and, and don't minimize the significance of that. But understand as well that God promises that you will win. So keep fighting. Keep trusting in God and boast in hope of the glory of God. So, so verse 2 ends on an incredible high note. We rejoice in our hope of coming glorification. But then the passage takes a very surprising turn in verse 3. Notice what it says. It says in Romans 5, verse 3, And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. So we also exalt in tribulation. And notice in particular that Paul uses the same verb at the end of verse 2 to say that we exalt in hope of the glory of God that he uses in verse 3 to say that we exalt in tribulation. Now that's surprising, isn't it? Because it makes sense that I would exalt in hope of glory. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense that I would exalt in tribulation. Like, no one gets cancer and says, praise God, right? We don't typically exalt in tribulation. And, and yet, Paul wants to draw a tight connection between the third and the fourth benefit in this passage, and he means to be provocative here. He, he wants to get our attention so that we ask, how in the world can you say that we should exalt in tribulation? And the answer is, is it through the grace we receive in the gospel? Trials are no longer merely bad things that make us miserable. They are instead a means of God's grace to transform us into the image of his son. And notice first that Paul explains this in the fact that tribulation produces perseverance. He says we exult in tribulation because it brings about perseverance. And and this word for perseverance is one of my favorite words in the New Testament. And the Greek word is hupomeno. And it's a compound word that combines the, the, the preposition hupa, which means under, and the verb meno, which means to remain. So the word literally means to remain under. So, so when you think of perseverance, you, you think literally of remaining under a heavy load. And not budging. And isn't that how it feels to persevere through suffering? You feel like the pressures of life are just crushing you. Or you feel like you're standing against an avalanche and you're just getting hit with wave after wave of, of hardship. And sadly, many unbelievers are crushed by the hardships of life. They lose hope. They despair. They spiral into all sorts of destructive and sinful behaviors. But trials don't crush God's people because we don't face them alone. Now, again, turn over to chapter 8. Chapter 8. And I want to read another familiar passage, verses 35 through 39. 
Romans 8, verse 35 says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? And I think it's important when we read that statement to understand that he's not, he's not concerned here about Christ forgetting about me. He's forgetting about me. He's thinking about, he's worried about me letting go of Christ. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Those are tribulations, right? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those are wonderful verses. Because what Paul is saying there is that through Christ, we are more than conquerors. So so life is filled with all the challenges uh, that, that Paul brings up in this passage. You know, Satan has many devices, but, but rather than crushing us, trials instead make us stronger because the Holy Spirit uses them not to crush us, but to produce perseverance, the ability to stay under the load and endure. And as a result, perseverance produces proven character. Proven character. Now, now, now that, the idea of, pick, of proven character pictures something that has been put to the test and passed the test. So, so think, for example, of a soldier who hasn't just been through uh, war games and, and simulations, he's actually endured heavy combat. So it's not just theoretical that he can stand up to the pressures of combat, he's actually done it. And he's proven his ability to stay strong and focused in the heat of intense pressure. And similarly, God uses tribulation to test our character and to assure us that we can overcome the next challenge. So God's saying every victory gives you a little more confidence that you will win the next time. And folks, that confidence is huge. Now, I've watched a lot of high school sports over the years. And when you watch teams come out to play high school sports, you know, sometimes you see kids come out in the court and you can tell they are afraid of getting embarrassed. And they have no confidence in their ability to win. They know they're up against some huge, incredible team, and, and they are just waiting to get pounded. And typically they do. You know, and then there's other times, you know, kids come out, and sometimes it's foolish, and sometimes they get pounded anyway, but they come out and they believe in themselves. They believe in the coach's plan, they believe in their ability to execute, and they fight tooth and nail. And they generally play a whole lot better than the kid that's just waiting to get destroyed. And confidence is huge. And that applies to all of life, and it includes the Christian life. We need confidence. So, for example, you're faced with a family crisis or cancer, and you're intimidated, and you wonder, how will I ever get through this? But if you've walked with the Lord for any length of time, you can look back at your life and you can remember how God sustained you through past trials. And because you overcame in the past, because you can remember how God sustained you before, you know that God is sufficient and that by His grace, you have the proven character to make it again. And that history is so encouraging as you face new challenges. 
So, so as you face new challenges, never forget what God's done in the past. Now, I, I wrote a blog, post, a blog post this spring about the fact you know, that Satan wants to isolate you in your trial. He wants you to think that you are the only person who's ever been here and that what you're going through, you're the first person that's ever been here and you have never been here before and he wants you to think, he wants you just to see this challenge and think there's no way you can make it. But don't forget what God has done for you in the past. You know, don't forget that you're surrounded by godly brothers and sisters who've, who've probably been where you've been and they've endured by the grace of God and you can endure by the grace of God. So proven character is, is such a wonderful help. And then finally, Paul says that proven character inspires hope. Proven character inspires hope. Now, remember that hope in context is specifically hope of glorification. So how do trials produce hope? Well, the answer is, is that every victory over a trial is a reminder that God's grace is at work in your life. He's sustaining you. He's strengthening you. Because, you know, we, we go through certain things and you look back after the fact and you say, I can't believe what God did there. How in the world did, did I endure? How, how did I make it? And the only explanation is the goodness and kindness of God. Because you should have been crushed and instead you thrived. And how does that give hope? Well, the fact is that we don't really know what trials and temptations are ahead. And you don't know when a health crisis is going to strike your family. You don't know when Satan is absolutely going to assault your faith with temptation and sin. And you might, because you don't know what is ahead, wonder, will I really make it? Will I persevere? Will I continue to trust the Lord and honor Him? Or will I bail? And you might worry that something will derail your faith and cause you to turn away from Christ. But, but thankfully, our faith is not ultimately in ourselves. Christ will hold me fast. And if you have been a Christian for any length of time, you can remember how God sustained you before. You know, so maybe there was a time a loved one was dying, and it hurt. And you, were, you questioned the goodness of God. Maybe you even questioned the existence of God. But God gave grace, and you made it. Christ held you fast. And through that experience, the truth of Scripture moved from just a story in an ancient book to your experience. Like you experienced the grace of God to sustain you through hardship. And as a result, you don't know what is ahead. But you know that the grace of God will be more than enough for every challenge. And you know that your troubles won't last forever. You know that someday you will make it to glory. And so you persevere. So, so maybe you're in the fire today. It feels like the world is crushing you. And, and maybe your faith is hanging by a thread, even as you come into church. And I want to urge you, don't be so focused on getting out of the trial that you miss what God is trying to do in you through it. And God is forming in you the character of His Son. He is making you holy through that. And that holiness that He is forming in you through that 
challenge you're facing right now is, is just another step towards perfect fellowship with Jesus someday. And that fellowship with Jesus, it is worth whatever it is that you're going through right now. So, so, so stay encouraged. Your, your trial is not meaningless and it's not hopeless. God is sovereignly at work to form Christ in you. And then remember how God has sustained you in the past and trust that he will do it again. You know, th- then through every heartache, rejoice in how God is moving you toward glory. He is making you into a Christian, a, a Christ-like person. And it will be worth it all someday. And then when the trial's over, don't forget to look back and to see what God did and to give thanks and to be encouraged that God will do it again. So, so I doubt many of us woke up this morning thanking God that we can exalt in tribulation. But we really should. We, we really should thank God that we can exalt in tribulation. Because our pain is never wasted because it's always part of God's sovereign good purpose and because God's grace is always sufficient to mold suffering into holiness. So we can rejoice in trials. We can rejoice even in the darkest of times. That's not something that the unbeliever can do, right? For for the unbeliever, trials and hardships are just devastating. They're meaningless. They're worthless. They're they're for nothing but pain. But for the Christian, they are a means of God's process of bringing us to glory. And so we can exalt in tribulation. And then fifth, the fifth blessing he mentions is that we have the witness of the Spirit. We have the witness of the Spirit. So look at what he says in verse 5. Verse 5 says, And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So so Paul opens this verse by saying that the great hope he mentioned in verse 4, that we will be glorified, it will not be met with disappointment. Have you ever boasted in something that didn't come about? You know, again, sports fans do this all the time. So, you know, right now, the Bears and the Lions are playing, and that reminds me, when I was youth pastor in Detroit, every time the Bears and the Lions played, you know, the kids would come into youth group on Sunday morning and they would talk trash. You know, the Lions are going to crush Jay Cutler today. You know, and they're going to wipe him out and they'd talk all this trash. And, you know, the Bears are not anything great, but the Lions are worse. And so generally speaking, the Bears would win. And then Sunday night, you know, these teens would come back into church and with their tails between their legs. And so they boasted. They boasted in the Lions. What a dumb thing to do. But they boasted in the Lions And the lions did not back up their boasting. And and Paul here is saying that Christians, you know, we boast in hope of glory. Well, what if we boast in hope of glory and it doesn't come through? And after all, we, we build our whole lives on this hope of glory. I mean, Christian, you have radically changed the course of your life because you believe someday you're going to be with Christ in heaven. What if your boasting is brought to shame? How do I know that my boasting in Christ will not be brought to shame? Well, the answer in verse 5 is, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, now we need to think carefully about what Paul means here. 
right? Because, because specifically, Paul is not saying that the Holy Spirit gives us the love of God because God already loves us in Christ. So if you're saved, you're, God cannot love you any more than he already does. So, so instead, what he means is that the Holy Spirit causes Christians to know and believe that God loves us and to feel that in our hearts. So, so he creates personal faith in and application of the love of God. That's an incredible ministry, an incredible ministry. It's so important because, because my faith is weak. And, and, and God's love is vast. It's fascinating to me how many times in the scriptures, you know, that God, you know, like in the, you know, two prayers in, in the book of Ephesians. And, and Paul is praying for the Ephesians that they would know the love of God. Now, did the Ephesians not know that God loved them? No, they knew God loved them. But God's love is so vast that, that we spend a lifetime as Christians coming to comprehend the vastness and, and the beauty and the depth of the love of God. And the reality is as well that there are so many forces in the world, so many forces in your own heart that are constantly pushing to cause you to doubt the love of God. And so what Paul is saying here is that the Holy Spirit works in the heart of Christians not just to create saving faith, but to strengthen and expand that faith that God's promises are true and they apply to me. Now, now that doesn't mean that we never experience doubt. You know, because, because we might. And, and so when we don't feed on the word and when we focus on ourselves, when we walk in disobedience, there's a good chance that you will doubt the love of God. You know, maybe, you know, and, and sometimes um, we, 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 we look for this ministry and, and sometimes we, we doubt for a variety of reasons. But when we come to God's word with a hungry heart, the Spirit helps me to believe that God is love. And not just that, the Holy Spirit helps me to believe God loves me. The Holy Spirit does that for me. Now, now the word is important in that. You know, because a lot of people who struggle with doubt, they do so because they look for how they feel. So, so you know, I ask you, do you, does God love you? And, and where do they look? They look and say, do I feel like God loves me? Or, or sometimes I think even, I, I remember this as a kid, thinking I needed to, to try and find the, the Holy Spirit doing this in my heart. Like I need to hear him somehow assuring me of the love of God. And that's not what Paul is saying here. No, the point is, is that we look at God's word. We meditate on his truth. And as I point my heart and mind to the truth of God, the Holy Spirit takes the truth of scripture and, and as we sing sometimes, he plants it deep inside us. He causes me to believe it's true, and he causes me to believe it is true for me. So just read the Bible. Focus on God's truth, and God's Spirit will take the truth and plant it in your hearts. And notice here as well that the Spirit doesn't answer with simply a whisper. No, instead, he causes the love of God to be poured out within our hearts. And the idea behind poured out is, is that of, of, of overflowing. So, so think of a dam that's holding back a massive amount of water, and that dam breaks, and all of a sudden, there's just an overwhelming force of water rushing through. 
And so the Holy Spirit is at work in you to cause you to understand that God's love is like a mighty river. But we don't always grasp it. Sometimes we question His love and sometimes we question His goodness. And if left to ourselves, we would not believe the love of God. We would not believe that God is good to us and kind to us in every situation. But I am so grateful that God has not left us alone. The Holy Spirit helps us know the love of God. And that is a wonderful, wonderful ministry. So folks, this passage calls us to rejoice in five incredible blessings of justification. God's grace doesn't stop flowing to you when you are born again. It's only beginning. You have peace with God. You have access to grace. You have a certain hope of glory. You have a certain hope in suffering. And the Holy Spirit is helping you to know the love of God. So I want to urge you to give thanks for every one of these blessings. And then take advantage of them. You know, don't be content with the trite Christianity that I mentioned in my introduction. It's really all about me and all about myself and God helping me become what I want to be and, and, and just totally focused on this world. No. Sink your teeth deeply into the glorious truths of the gospel. Anchor your soul in the character and the promises of God and enjoy a rich, deep relationship with your Savior. And if you're not saved, I hope that you will look at this passage and see everything that Christ offers. Now, Christianity is so much more than a ticket out of hell and a ticket to paradise in heaven. The gospel is a key to a relationship with God. I can know God in the gospel and I can have fellowship with him And I can have hope. And I can know that that hope will be honored someday. And I will be with Christ. So if you've not received Christ, you can pray and you can receive him today. You can trust in Christ and be saved. And if you have questions, we'd love to talk with you. And if you do know him, take these truths. Anchor your soul in these truths. And live them every day. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gospel. And Father, thank you for the God who stands behind the gospel. Lord, I, you, there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. And so God, we want to honor you today. We want to worship you today that you are a God of love. You love us in Christ with unimaginable greatness and compassion. And You are compassionate towards us. You you help us to know a love that is too vast for our comprehension. And we thank you for that. And Lord, I pray for, for any Christians here today who are struggling with discouragement, despair, doubt, frustration, that God, your Holy Spirit, would would take the truth of this passage and press it home to their hearts, lift them up and encourage them. God, I pray that if we have become distracted with the cares of this world, that God, this passage would serve to drive us back to the wonderful truth of Christ. And I pray that the things of the world would become strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. 
And Father, I pray that this week we would walk in the strength of your grace, that we would live before your throne, and that, God, we would honor you each and every day. Father, thank you so much for this passage. And Father, I pray that, that we would live it this week, that we would rest in it this week, and that we really would believe it. In Jesus' name, amen.